I wanted to give you guys an update what's happening in terms of our long-term building space. So yes, uh, I'm really enjoying this, this uh, hotel vibe kind of thing going on. We'll do this for a little while. But in the meantime, we're looking for something longer term. We don't have to set up and tear down every week. And we can have a place to meet during the week for whatever reason, for a small group, a mom's group, for uh, an office. And actually having an office that's not my kitchen table, that would be very nice at some point for the 10 years I've been doing kind of office out of my backpack. But um, we've narrowed the search. We've looked probably, I don't know, 50, 60, 70 properties online, narrowed it down to like five, looked at those five, came down to two. Of those two, we submitted letters of intent, they're called. And then of those two that we submitted letters of intent to, we've only heard back from one. Uh, so the other one, I don't know. Well, we hear back from them, maybe. That's the one in Conchahawk and we have not heard back from. The other property that it actually gave us a really good deal, it's like half the price of what everyone else is charging, which is amazing, and it's like 6,000 square feet. I'll, I'll get into more details later, because it's just in sort of like a initial stages, but it's in King of Prussia. The address, if you're interested in looking up on your phone or how, long, how far it would take you to get from your house, is 785th Avenue in King of Prussia. So that's all I'll say about it for now. There are some advantages to that property that make it look pretty appealing, uh, but because we're in initial stages, I don't really have much more to say at this point, except that that seems to be really one of the um, most obvious options that we have uh, before us now. So it's been interesting. It's been real interesting. I'm learning a lot about leasing. I'm kind of becoming like a semi-expert in like real estate, uh, like pricing per square foot and how, you know, triple net, all that stuff, you know. So I'm, I'm learning, the, learning the rope. So if I end up as a real estate agent on the side, you know, you'll know why. Um, but anyway, we, we've, you know, wherever we end up, I think one of the things we've discovered in this process, and I've heard some of you say this, uh, we've learned that the church is not about the building. Like a church, when you say to go to church, it's not a actually building. That's not what the church is. The church is something uh, much, um, much more than that. And in fact, uh, during COVID, I think a lot of people, even considering churches themselves, understood that very thing. When, during COVID time, we couldn't meet in person or sometimes during that. And the idea of church uh, made us rethink what is church all about altogether. And certainly during this time, I've been rethinking what church is all about. So if you're like me, maybe that's something you've been considering or thinking about. Um, a little while ago, so I was at the gym, and I had a conversation with a woman. It was a um, really interesting conversation, and she was talking about her faith, and she was telling me that she didn't uh, go to church. She had faith, but she didn't really go to church because she felt like this is just a private thing between me and God, and I like to practice my uh, faith by myself, even though my husband loves going to church. Uh, I don't really like to do that. And uh, it was really interesting. I think a lot of people I've talked to have felt that way. Have you ever talked to someone or like know people? Maybe that's yourself. Like a lot of people feel, okay, I have faith, but it really doesn't need to be connected to any kind of church. That's kind of a, a, a common thought today uh, as I talk to people about what they believe. And then others, I mean, there's other reasons for that, right? Some people find church boring. Like when I was a youth, when I was young and I was that age, like, they didn't have iPhones back then, so it was really boring. But I got really good at doodling. Like, I could draw Spider-Man in about 10 seconds, like comic book level Spider-Man. So back in the day, for those of you who don't remember, that, that's kind of what we used to do before iPhones. So I, it was doodling. It was boring for people. Uh, some people just think generally it's boring. I think Abraham Lincoln, um, he said this, if all people uh, who fell asleep in church on a Sunday morning were laid out end to end, well, they would be a great deal more comfortable that way. 
<laughs> so, you know, it's, it goes back to Abe Lincoln days, right? That's not, nothing, nothing new. Uh, then Mick Jagger, on the other hand, he said, he said this. Mick Jagger said, Jesus Christ, well, he's fantastic, but I don't like the church. The church does more harm than good. So some people look at the church and they look at the politics of things or they look at the way some churches appear on the internet or are presented and they just get a bad taste in their house and their mouth. They're just like, what is going on? I, I just don't want to have anything to do with all that religious stuff. So, or at least, they, you know, that's the way the thinking goes. The problem, however, some, some issues with that is that if you try to express faith by yourself or you try to live in that kind of isolated bubble, that's what happens. You get isolated. Your faith is disconnected from community. And we see a lot of loneliness today in the world today. And not only that, but it greatly diminishes your capacity to really grow because God created us to belong to something greater than ourselves. In fact, today, I want to talk about that very thing, is why would we do church at all? Like, what, what's the purpose of church? Why would we even consider church? And you might be um, not really connected to a church. It might be something new. You could be uh, in and out of church. Whatever your situation is, I think you're in the right place today, even if you've been part of a church for a while, because we can sometimes lose focus and lose a vision for what we're doing and why we're doing it. Especially, there's some people who have been going for church for a long time, but maybe it's just become something you do rather than understanding truly what, it, what it's all about. And so today, as we're, what we're doing is during this time before Easter, we're taking these 40 or so days to fast together, to pray, to ask God, hey, God, would you give us, a, you provide a place for us to be on a more permanent basis, but also to seek God, to grow in our own faith with him as we prepare our hearts for celebrating Easter. We're going to do that as we do that, I want to focus on this theme that we see all throughout the entire Bible, and particularly the New Testament, but you see it all throughout all the scriptures. This, this theme called the body of Christ. It's a, it's a phrase that's used quite often to describe a mul- multiple layers of things, the body, the body of Christ. In fact, what I want to talk to, one of the primary uses of that I want to speak to today is the idea of the body of Christ being the church, that, that we ourselves are the body of of Christ. And so I want to address some, so throughout the series, what we're going to do, I want to address some issues that may have even been a little bit controversial uh, in some ways, in some circles at times. You may have seen some things in the news or whatnot, but things you might be curious about, like what is healthy church leadership supposed to look like? And one that goes wrong, like what happens? What are the impacts of that? Or, you know, how do we deal with money as a church? Money is, a, is an issue that has caused a lot of controversy, controversy as well. How about communion or confession? How do all those things fit together as the body of Christ? So those are the kind of things we want to talk about during this series. And people from different streams of Christianity, you could say, sometimes don't always agree on that. So what I want to do is look at what the scriptures say to give us some clarity on some of these questions that a lot of us have but maybe don't really think about all too often. But it's really centered on this idea of the body of Christ. So today, we're going to look at a church, what, what, it, what a church is, and one of the best writings in the entire world and in the scriptures itself that helps describe what a church is all about is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in Ephesus. He wrote, it's called an epistle, and it's called the Book of Ephesians. And in it, he outlines God's plan for what a church actually is. So what I'm going to do is take selected highlights from this book to help us understand on a deeper level what's church all about anyway. What is a church and help us uh, remember and think more about that. So let's, let's say a brief prayer, ask God to prepare our hearts to hear what he has to say, and then we'll, uh, we'll jump right in. So Lord, thank you for your word, and we pray that you would open our hearts to receive the, uh, the faith that you want to impart to us. We, we know that your word says that faith in itself is a gift. So I pray for 
um, the gift of faith, not only just in you, but in your plans for what a church is supposed to be. And maybe there's some people who have lost faith in the church itself, and well, we don't put our faith in people, but ultimately in you and what you desire. So I pray that you'd bring up about restoration in our thinking today. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, if you want to pull up your uh, digital Bibles uh, with me, uh, I'll also post it on the screen. We're going to start right at the beginning of the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, at the beginning of the letter. And he often addresses, kind of gives a general address to the people. But this is what he, this Paul writes, starting in verse 3. So Ephesians 1, chapter 3. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. So remember, Paul's writing to a church. He's writing to the church in Ephesus. These guys didn't have a meeting space like we did. We didn't have a nice hotel. They had, they had their homes, though. Some, some of them maybe met outside. They met in small groups in these little house networks. So that was, and they sometimes assembled in a larger group as well. That was kind of the situation. So he's writing this as a letter to them, uh, to the entire body of Christ. In the opening of the letter, he, he lays this out. And what does he say? Well, the first thing we understand about what a church is, because he calls them sons and daughters, is that the church is a family. That's the heart of what a church is. The church is a family, and that we are brothers and sisters, and we have a heavenly Father. And really, this is good news. It's really good news, especially for people today who have grown up in broken family environments. So much of the world, all of us, have had difficulties within our families in one degree or another. And what God did is he created a community that was meant to be designed to be a family for people who don't have families. And for a family that actually goes beyond the bonds that are exist within the church itself are meant to go even beyond blood bonds, beyond blood relatives. There's, there's such a level of intimacy in family. It's a spiritual bond that, uh, that, that it's really, in some ways, it's hard to describe unless you've experienced that level of relationship, the trust that can go beyond even just blood relatives. Um, and it even crosses cultural barriers. You know, one of the things I get to do is I get to travel to South America two, three times a year. And sometimes I get to uh, visit churches that I've never met before. Uh, sometimes I visit church. Bolivia is my main place where I go. And the sense of brotherhood that I have, like the sense of family, even though these people are in a completely different culture, speak a completely different language, is incredible. It's like I have a brother or sister right there, family, in South America, who I'd never met before. And I, it's almost inexplicable how to describe that, except if there's some spiritual reality happening in our brotherhood and sisterhood, or being a family, the family of God, with God ourselves being the Father. And that, I've experienced that in our church, and I know many of you have, have had that sense of community. Many of you, we've cried together, we've laughed together, we've celebrated together, we've hung out together. But that community, that the church... The body of Christ is designed to be a family where we can uh, fit all together. And, you know, where things go wrong and have gone wrong in the church and outside the church, or let's just talk about inside the church at first, um, like in terms of race relations. So we're celebrating Black History Month, and a lot of the injustices in the world happened when people prioritize their identity, their selves, 
as being a certain skin color above their brotherhood or sisterhood in Christ. See, the thing is that because we're a family, it eliminates all racism. It eliminates all of those divisions that people make, whatever they might be. They might be political divisions. They might be racial divisions. They could be uh, class divisions in, uh, you know, in, in how much money we make. Whatever it is, all those things are erased because we are families. And in fact, Paul was writing to a, a group of people where they were slaves at the time and slave owners. And, 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 and Paul's like giving them a completely new paradigm. He's saying, listen, you're brothers and sisters. And so treat each other that way. That's, it levels the playing field. You are not one above the other. You are equal in Christ in your relationship with God. So look around you for a second. This, this is a brief friend. All these people around you, or some of them, they're either your brothers and sisters or they're your potential brothers and sisters. If you aren't a believer yet, or this is something new, they could be your potential. Now, I don't know if that scares you away or not, <laughs> looking around, but that's the reality. That's what the scriptures teach us about, about who we are. Okay, let's look at the next scripture here. So Ephesians 3, verse 10. So skipping to chapter 3, says this. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so here we see Paul using the word church explicitly. Now, the word church actually didn't exist in Greek at the time. So to understand what Paul meant by this idea, we want to dig a little bit deeper into that word. And it's the Greek word ekklesia, or ekklesias. And that meant it was actually a reference to a gathering of, mo- it was at the time, mostly Greek men who would assemble for purposes of establishing law. They would establish policies. They would establish, um, there were people who were summoner called, they would elect officials. They would discuss duties about public business. But one of the things they actually did um, occasionally when, when needed was that they would make declarations of war together, which is, which is really interesting. So that's like the level that this uh, community, this ecclesia had. It's called, or in other words, assembly, but there's not quite an equivalent in English. So that's why it's hard, but we chose the word church, and there's a whole history of how that came about. But let's look at Ephesians 6 and uh, fill that out a little bit more. So skipping to the end of the, the letter, Paul says this and connects it thematically. Verse 10 He says to them, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle, it's not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And so the Bible actually lays out this paradigm that there are rulers and authorities in heavenly places that are actively engaging in warfare against God and his people. And so there's a whole spiritual dimension that we're unaware of, and Paul consistently comes back to this. And all throughout the script, not just New Testament letters like Paul wrote, but if you look actually from the Old Testament, even starting in Genesis, there are these thematic elements of warfare and this spiritual battle kind of theme that keeps getting repeated again and again and again. Spiritual battle language, in other words. So our enemies, and he says here, our enemies aren't people, not people. Our enemies are Satan and the authorities that have been established in place. In fact, whether you like it or not, we are in a war with the devil, his angels, and his, the principalities that are under his, his control. And so all of the evil that's happening in the world is being influenced by this, these powers that, that exist and are 
in control of the darkness that we see happening all around us. And Paul says, how do we stand firm? Well, we stand firm in the Lord. It's in his strength, in him. And as we read in Revelation, it's the word of our testament. So it's the things we say about Jesus, the story that we have, our own God's story of Jesus working in our life, gives away a revelation, understanding of who Jesus is to the people around us. And so we are actively engaged in this warfare. And it is through the church, he says, the body of Christ, that people see Jesus today, even though he's not with us in person. This is God's plan. Think about that. God's plan for people to see Jesus and bring restoration to the world is you, is us. It's the church. The church is the hope of the world. It is God's plan for overcoming evil and darkness. Whether you believe it or not, this is God's primary plan. So the church is an army. It's meant to be a powerful army. It's a family. But thirdly, the church is also our identity. In other words, you don't just go to church, you are the church. There's a significant difference between understanding that as a part of who you are rather than something that you do. Church is actually part of who we are and it's crucial to understanding, especially in our modern day where people define themselves, they identify themselves with anything and everything. People define themselves by their political affiliation. They um, define themselves by their feelings or their sexuality. They define themselves by, you know, their uh, participation in some kind of activity. They define themselves by um, by what they buy and purchase. In other words, we're in a branding kind of society where you de- now people are defining themselves by a brand, and people ask people, others, like in business, like, what's your brand? Now you're just reduced to a bar of soap, essentially. So in all these ways that we can define ourselves, what Paul is saying here, what scriptures say, is that our identity is not in all of those things. It's in our relationship with God and with each other. See, God's people, we, the people of God, we're defined by our relationships. That's how we identify ourselves. First, in our relationship with God, and then our relationship with each other. It is core to who we are. That's vital, and it's often missed uh, in that. And he often, interestingly enough, Paul ties our identity to Israel. Look at Ephesians 6, uh, sorry, verse 3, chapter 3, verse 6. He says this. This mystery, talking about the mystery of the gospel, is that through the gospel of what God's done for people, is that through the gospel, the Gentiles, or the non-Jewish people, are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Jesus Christ. Israel representing and what it means is the people of God. That's what he means by Israel. Not necessarily the political state that we see today, meaning God's historical people that he's been shepherding all throughout all generations. And then in Ephesians 1, chapter 18, he says this, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. And so who are heirs? Heirs are people who receive an inheritance, a free gift from those people who have come before us. So often it's a family, but as a people group, as a church, as the people of God, we are actually recipients of the blessings and the promises that God gave to Israel. So all of those promises that God gave to the, the nation Israel throughout the Old Testament, we as God's people now have, who have been adopted into his family can claim those as God's promises for us. In fact, there's a continuity, there's a continuity there 
with God's people throughout history and with Israel itself. And so that God's people now have been grafted in, so to speak, as Paul uses in other parts, to this eternal family that God uh, has created. And the church really is the primary place we identify ourselves as people who belong to God. And so we're defined, again, by who we worship, our relationship to God as an act of worship, and then to each other as our family. Ultimately, it's this. The picture we see really church, why is it important? The biblical picture of church shows us that to be disconnected from God's people means to be disconnected from God himself. It is that significant. It is that tied together. And as it writes in First uh, John, John writes to one of the apostles, he wrote this. He says, you can't say that you love God, but you hate your brother. And it kind of goes along. You can't say that you love God, but you have zero relationship with any of the brothers and sisters. There has to be, it's one and the same thing. It's not a completely disconnected thing. Okay, so, so far, when I think of the word faith, I don't know if you noticed that, but so, we're, what is the church? It's a family, it's an army, it's an identity, and we're getting to two other letters to finish the word faith, T and H, we're almost there. Okay, so fourthly, the church is a team, okay? It's a team that's in training together. That's a triple T there, there for you. This is a little bonus. All right, Ephesians 4, 11. This is what Paul writes. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip, right, to train. That's another word for training. To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So these are the people that, this is what the church is. The church are the group of people who are training together to become like Jesus and to do the things that Jesus did. That is a simple definition of what church is. Let me say that again. The church is the team of people that are training together to become like Jesus. That's what a disciple is. And to do the things that he did. That is the church. We are a team that is in training to become like Jesus and express the things that he did. So all the ministry that Jesus did, it didn't stop when he died and rose from the dead. He said, listen, I'm going to commission you, now my disciples, to then make more disciples who overcome the work of the devil, who bring restoration and life to society, who are the salt of the earth, who are the light of the world. It is the people of God that are the body of Christ to the world today. Remember, we just finished a series on shape, and that's a lot, a lot about it. I'll tell you a story that really impressed me. So John Wimber, he's known as the founder of the Vineyard Movement. And he told me a story that really stuck with me. I'll never forget. And he said that one day he was in his office and someone came into the office really upset. It was a guy who said, listen, I've been trying to get this, this man who's homeless some, some help. And I've been calling the church office and no one's answering my calls. No one's getting back to me. So I just went out and I just got him some clothes. I gave him a place to stay for a while. And I can't believe the church would not do anything about, about this homeless man. And John Wimber just kind of looked at him for a second. And he's like, well, it looks like the church did do something about it. See, the office of a church or the official church business is not the church. If that was the case, my kitchen table would be the church. My kitchen table is not the church. We, the people of God. So if, if you actively serve someone who is poor, if you pray for healing and restoration, if you come along someone who is mourning and going through a very difficult time, 
the church is doing that because we are the church. You are the church. We are the people of God who have been equipped for works of service. And every single one of us who, have, who are followers of Jesus and full of the spirit have spiritual gifts that God wants to use in order to bring his blessing and restoration to a place that is hopeless and depressed and needy in need of, of God's touch. And this is what God's called us to do. This, the vision for our church or the call for our church is to be a place where you can come as you are. You have no qualifications. Anyone can come no matter what they believe, think, look like, whatever. Come as you are. But the second part is to be restored. Is you learn how to walk with Jesus, to become like Jesus, train to become like him and do the things that he did. That's, that's the call that we have as a church. You and we are the body of Christ. Okay, so the church is a family. It's an army. It's the church's our identity. And T, it's a team that is in training together. Okay, and then finally, H. Lastly, anyone want to guess what it is? Anyone you've been around for a while? Yeah, so you got it. Someone knew it. So the church is also meant to be a hospital, a place of healing, a place of restoration, a place where people can come and live a life in the presence of God and receive healing in God's presence. I don't know if you've ever experienced that before, but often in our times of worship and prayer, you can actually sense God's presence. We've seen uh, God heal people physically, emotionally, spiritually, almost on a week-to-week basis as we pray. Sometimes people don't even come up for prayer, and they feel like the pain that they've been carrying all week is just, just kind of falls simply by being in the presence of God. And this is who we want to be. We want to be a dwelling place where God lives by his spirit, as it says in Ephesians. We want to be a place where people can walk out. And that process, actually, of becoming more like Jesus, overcoming all the pain and the difficult things in our life, the, that restoration process, there's a term that's called sanctification, which is the process by which we become more like Jesus. And that is what God calls us each to be and who to do and to be. God designed us to be that. So I'd encourage you, at the end, if you're new to our church, what we do is we offer prayer. So we're going to actually uh, give people an opportunity to get some prayer as we're, as we're worshiping. Um, off to the side there, either there or there. And there are people who've been trained to pray who would love to pray with you and for whatever it is. It could be you know, a broken finger. It could be a bum knee. It could just be you're going through a difficult time with your boyfriend. Whatever it is, God wants to bring about restoration and touch you today. So we believe in the offer prayer every single week, which I love, and God often shows up. All right, so there we have it, the word faith. Help us remember. So the church is important. Why? Why is the church? Because it's a family, right? It's a place where we fellowship together and have community. The church is an army, a people who defeat the works of the devil and bring about restoration to the lives of those around us. We also, church is our identity because we're defined by who we worship, and the church is a team that is called to train to become like Jesus and do the things that we did. And ultimately, the church is a hospital where people can come and receive healing and experience freedom from the power of sin in their lives. So in summary, here it is. is one. So that's five things, but I like to say it's easier just to remember one thing. So in summary, it's this. The church is the ecclesia or the gathering of God's eternal, God's eternal family. It's the gathering of God's eternal family for the purpose of bringing about restoration to the world today. That is the church. And to me, that seems pretty important. In fact, I can't think of anything more important that will matter in eternity than to be part of God's eternal family and the work that he's doing. And I would like to invite each of you to be part of what God's doing in this very small local expression. So if you're new, if you're new to our church, 
we do have that connect dinner that we have as an opportunity for you to just hang out with family. So we're just going to bring family food and just get to know one another. So if you're interested in getting to know people, you're new to our church community, come on out. That's going to be at our place, at our house this week. It's not, uh, just, just to make a note, we had been doing them at the end of the month, but we shifted things around because of some schedule changes. So we're doing that this Friday, and that'll be at our place. So come on out. You don't even have to bring food. You can just come and eat the food. That's cool. You're, you're welcome to be our guest. We also have small groups that go on on a week-to-week basis that I can let you know more about. But that would be, I think, a first good step. Secondly, if you've been kind of engaged in churches, a second group of people, you've been kind of engaged, but you really haven't really stepped into that gifting, that, that calling that God has for you, that unique shape that you have, we would love to get you plugged in and help you start serving and growing in your faith and giving you some training opportunities to do that. It might be one or two things just to start. We want to help teach you how to pray. We want to teach you how to use the gifts God's given you in order to build up the body of Christ. I would love to talk to you. If that's you, I'd encourage you, you know, just send me an email, rich at contractcommunity.com, or talk to me. I would love to get you involved um, in doing the things that Jesus did. Because that's what this is. The church is not about me doing everything, although I kind of am doing everything today. That is not planned. I'm covering for another worship leader, and things are, things are happening but it is for the body of Christ. There's sometimes when it helps to have people to fill in. So that, I'm a filling kind of guy too. That's one of my gifts. I'm a utility player. I like to kind of go where I need. If I need to go, you know, move some chairs, I'll do it. That's, that's kind of the attitude. But in being able to just make myself available, that's how I discovered what, how God had gifted me. And that's the same thing for everybody. Just start doing stuff and you'll discover, hey, you know, you're really good at that. People, the, the family will tell you, hey, you seem to be really gifted. When you encourage me, when you speak that, for example, I was really built up. And so it's in the family and actively involved in family, the family business, so to speak, that you can really grow and discover who you are. And then finally, maybe you're on the front lines, like I've been. And listen, I've been getting beat up a little bit. But when you're on the front lines, you will experience spiritual warfare. There, the, the devil's real, and he does stuff devilish. He'll try to attack your kids. And I'll, I'll, the one brief, I won't go into the details, there was a, like a real serious threat that was made against one of my kids this week. And it was, it's like being taken to the police level. And this is not the first time this has happened to our family. And, and it's often in the time in the midst of when we're engaging in some spiritual thing in the church. It's, it's amazing the connection there. And it's not coincident. I don't make this, I can't make this stuff up. A lot more stories. But listen, if you're on the front lines, remember... Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on that full armor of God. I encourage you this week, maybe pray through that Ephesians 6 passage. Remember to put on all those pieces of armor. And that's all representative things, like having, being in the word of God and your prayer life and being connected to the community, all that. Remember, you're in a spiritual battle. It's real. You're going to be attacked. But we have one another, we have the Lord, and God's given us the resources in order to overcome the works of the enemy.